This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. We are. We are. We are Cultivate. 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 We are Cultivate. Hello and welcome to a special mini-sode of Yield Crime, the show where Maddie and I discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear every Wednesday. This special bi-weekly segment is called Can You Crack the Cramp Word, which is slang for a difficult or obscure term, which I thought was very fitting. And joining me today is Vuk from the Tracing Owls podcast. And before we begin, I'd like to give him the opportunity to tell us a little more about himself and his show. Welcome. Well, hello, and uh, thank you for having me on the show. As you said, my name is Vuk. Sometimes I go by Darwin, which is my alter ego I'm trying to kill at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> right off the bat, I want to congratulate you for getting the name of my podcast correct. <laughs> yeah, you messed it up one time. and <laughs> So my podcast, Tracing Owls, Not Twisted Owls. <laughs> is kind of a 14 philosophy podcast. Now, for those who do not know what 14 means, essentially paranormal, not just ghosts and demons and spooky stuff, but uh, any kind of anomalous phenomena. So, you know, cryptids, aliens, UFOs, mm -hmm. even hauntings and ghosts, and even just weird stuff in general, like anomalous rains, spontaneous human combustion, all of that is Fortiana. Nice. So that's kind of a good segue to my first question. So your show is all about, you know, like the philosophies and pseudoscience behind, you know, cryptids and other strange phenomena. What got you interested in this topic? Okay, so I started off very young, interested a lot in biology. I have a degree in biology education. I worked as a biology teacher. My primary focus has always been, you know, biology, the natural world, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. but even when I was growing up, like I was the type of kids, like in second grade, I went to the principal because my teacher was teaching us about mammals and saying, oh, mammals don't lay eggs. All mammals give birth to live young. And I'm like, uh, what about the echidna and platypus? Yep. Yep. <laughs> you know, I, I'd defy the teacher for refusing to tell us the truth. Kind of sounds conspiratorial, but <laughs> thankfully it's just limited to, you know, platypuses and echidnas. So, you know, I was that type of child. I was always interested in the stuff that nobody wants to talk about, mm -hmm. you know, not just the stuff that is spoon fed that has mass appeal. Like even in kindergarten, I remember when they were asking us what our favorite animals were, everybody's going to be like pony, dog, cat, mm -hmm. you know. And I'm like tapeworms and beetles <laughs> and stuff like that. <laughs> I'm like, why is nobody talking about this stuff? This is also a living creature that we don't want to acknowledge. So that kind of got me into the, you know, Fortean paranormal side of things because it's stuff that 
is perceived as scary to people or weird, unusual, but nobody really wants to acknowledge it or talk about it, mm-hmm. especially not in an academic or school setting. Yeah. So my interest started off, you know, with cryptids. Obviously, if I'm into biology, I'm into cryptids because they're supposed real animals out there. Mm-hmm. The more I, you know, I've grown, the more I have learned about the actual science and become a biologist myself. I realize this is all total bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, to me, I don't see cryptids as, you know, real creatures out there. Some of them are, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, some of them do have potential of being real actual animals that we have not discovered, but most of them are folkloric constructs. And I'm perplexed by why we still keep talking about them. What kind of role do they fulfill in society? So my show, though I am a biology guy, is not oriented in you know truth-seeking or proving these things real, but actually talking about how we talk about these things, what kind of sociological and cultural role they have, and what they say about us. Not whether Bigfoot is real, but why is somebody compelled to believe that Bigfoot is real? And what role does Bigfoot play in their life? Yeah. So that's also another interesting segue. It's like, you know what I'm going to ask you. Yeah, this actually (laughs) happens with me quite often. I have like a very close podcasting friend and we end up very synchronistically putting out episodes talking about the same things or having the same guests completely coincidentally. So I love how your show is all about bringing on other podcasters and like thought leaders on the different topics that you discuss, which is kind of how we got connected with the mm-hmm. Zana from Abkhazia episode. Yes. What do you look for in a co-host and are there specific phenomena that you enjoy exploring more than others? Okay. I really like that you noticed that and that you asked me this question. Usually people would say, I'm looking for somebody who knows you know, much about a topic or this and that. I see my podcast not as mine, but as a co-creation. I see the paranormal as a co-creation of ourselves and an elusive other. Every episode I do is a co-creation between myself and the guest. Mm-hmm. And what I often do as a host is I assume the role of a mirror that reflects back the guest. Mm -hmm. to themselves and i make the guests shine so i usually cover topics which kind of resonate with the guests because i want to dig deep into the guest psychologically and uncover what makes them tick what draws them into these topics and what how they perceive it uh, what role does it fulfill in their lives Mm -hmm. so oftentimes we would talk about topics which resonate with them and i would just be the kind of interpreter it's somewhat like reading tarot cards you know yeah only the the tarot card is the guest yeah yeah that's an interesting way of putting it yeah yes yes and i really like that so when i'm looking for guests i the most important thing for me is that it is a person who has the capability of showing humility and humbleness because not everybody is open to talk about deep, intricate, personal things, philosophical things as well, Mm -hmm. and why they are drawn to certain topics. Mm -hmm. It's much easier for people to just talk about the topics like this. We see oftentimes like Bigfoot is a creature out there. It's much easier to talk about it from the context of, oh, it's out there in the woods. It's something I can engage with 
when I want to. If I want to see Bigfoot, I'm going to go into the woods and find it. Mm -hmm. But I bring, bring the Bigfoot and whatever we're talking about back to the person. I am digging for the Bigfoot within the person themselves because I see all of this phenomena as us projecting our own psyches and not just psyches, but society and culture as a whole. I see every person as kind of an extension of an overarching connected consciousness of all people. Yeah. This is my last question. <laughs> oh man, you already regret asking me questions. No, I'm just, I really like your answers. They're very, they're very thoughtful and it explains a yes. lot about the process of your show. Yes. Well, I, I want to add there, like, I think it's very important to be mindful, like why I started podcasting and especially the way I'm doing it is because nobody is really making paranormal podcasts where we are digging into these kinds of things. Let's say there are millions of podcasts that cover the Kentucky Goblins, the Hopkinsville Goblins yep. case. And it's always, you know, going over the case and that's that. And what can it be? Is it an owl? Is it an alien? Mm -hmm. You know, this and that. But what I'm interested in is like, this was in 55. Who cares if it's real or not? Like, that's totally important, unimportant now. The world did not change because the goblins were real or not yeah. in 55. But we still see the goblins echoing in today's society. We have little green men as a concept that started with that. We see artists creating art of the goblins. So what I did, like I did a roundtable with three artists to talk about what the goblins mean to them and how they incorporate the goblins into their own art. Oh, yeah. Because I see that as, you know, the goblins transcending any kind of reality or existence from 55 and echoing in the modern time through these artists who are incorporating them into art. Yeah, I like that. Okay. Is there a particular topic that you've either already covered on your show or plan to cover that you're really excited about or you really enjoyed the discussion? Okay, so I am known in these circles as the Gaia Theory guy, <laughs> and it's not something that I per se cover a lot on my show, but rather everybody has me on their show to talk about that because biology is, you know, the center point of my interest. And the Gaia theory is essentially the planet Earth is a superorganism composed of every living thing on the planet, including us. Mm -hmm. And we all synergize and coexist in a symbiosis. It's very, very complicated. I'm not going to go into that now because you're asking me about my podcast and not <laughs> other podcasts. <laughs> so on my podcast, there are certain topics that I'm very interested in that echo and resonate throughout multiple episodes. I bring up these topics a lot. Mm -hmm. The most groundbreaking one that I covered, and this will sound very, very weird, is the Popobawa, which is a bat-winged cycloptic demon from Tanzania, which okay. supposedly sexually assaults men. Okay. That, that's why I say it's going to sound weird, but... That, that's the more Western interpretation of it. When you go deep into this topic, it is used like a linguistic meme that allows people in these Swahili-speaking cultures to safely talk about some taboo issues. Okay. So it is a monster that people use because it is much more acceptable to talk about supernatural things and through those supernatural things talk about taboo issues like, let's say, LGBT rights. Mm -hmm sexual assault, 
like women who talk about that over there can get into a lot of trouble. It's a very conservative Muslim country. Being LGBT there is illegal. People can go to jail. So if you want to safely express LGBT issues there, you have the capability to say or to tell a joke of being visited by the Popol Bawa and seeing how people would react, testing the waters that way. And it's also, you know, a gateway to talk about various political issues as well. It is so convoluted and complicated, and it is rooted in the Swahili language. That made me think of the creature known as Pinky Pinky in South Africa, That, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, basically the same sort of construct, but for women. And so mm-hmm. that's like immediately as you were describing this creature, I was like, oh, yes, like here is this. This is very interesting. So th- this is something that has been happening along the east coast of Africa, like in north in Tanzania, in Zanzibar, we have the Popobawa. But if you go so- more southern and southern, like to South Africa, as you say, we have the pinky pinky. We have the tokoloshe, yep, which are you know goblin-like things. All of them depicted with giant penises. Yep, yep. <laughs> which goes into the whole trickster figure because tricksters, especially in African folklore, are depicted with giant penises. The most obvious example is Pazuzu, the demon from The Exorcist. Okay, yep. Mm-hmm. And when we're talking about the tokoloshe, these goblin-like things. What we say about them today is completely different than their origin because they have an origin in the indigenous religions there before colonization of Africa. Mm-hmm. And they were river deities that have been, since colonization, bastardized into monsters. Yeah, we discussed the Tokoshi on pineapple pizza a while ago. Mm-hmm. And yeah, just it's very interesting hearing about these creatures and these urban legends and kind of how they started and then kind of what they've morphed into over time and yes what the the cultural significance is behind each of these phenomena especially like with their like origins yes and it also tells us a lot about you know the cultures they originate from but also if we analyze the modern bastardized versions it tells us a lot about ourselves as white imperial western bastards yeah and this is not just you know in south africa or tanzania like in ah uh, i can't remember but it's on the west coast an african country there is the ninkinanka which is a giant serpentine water creature and it is a demonized version of a python deity from an indigenous python cult. Okay. In South Africa, in the Mizantlava River, there is the Mamlambo, which was a river goddess, a feminine river goddess that grants good luck. Okay. But since colonization, she has been transformed into a half horse, half fish thing that eats humans' brains. You know, totally makes sense from the original <laughs> interpretation. Yeah. Totally checks out, but yeah. Yes, yes. Listener, have you ever experienced something so peculiar and utterly bizarre that you are left questioning the mere fabric of reality? Or your own sanity? Was it all a delusion, or was your mind just rationalizing the mundaneness of this existence? Were you deliberately paid a visit by the Cosmic Joker? 
Or have you unexpectedly set foot into Mother Nature's shadow? Cryptids, aliens, paranormal phenomena, high strangeness, anomalies, obscurities, natural curiosities, and just general weirdness. This podcast covers them all. We seek to catalog the overlooked, spotlight the disregarded, and remind you that the cosmic expanse is much greater than our understanding of it. have some fun along the way too. No need to be serious all the time. Existence is an absurdity and it is always best to laugh along with the cosmic joker. So listener, join me, Darwin, as I fill your head with obscure nonsense you've probably never heard of. Cause everybody wants to cover the same topics over and over again. Yet, I believe everything that ever happened, at least subjectively cause there's not much proof of most of these topics, deserves to be acknowledged, documented, and sensationalized for your entertainment. Hey, it's a podcast. So listen to me. Please, I'll keep the episodes short as I embark on a grand quest to bastardize the disregarded. Well, that's all the questions that I have. So are you interested to try your hand at some cramp words? Sure thing. I hope I don't get a cramp myself. <laughs> <laughs> don't think too hard on it. Don't want you to hurt yourself. I, I want to add like <laughs> another, since I'm saying like everything I do is like tarot reading, divination, interpretation. Like I am not an English speaker. I am a Serb from Bosnia and I live in Bosnia, another country. So it would be very, very interesting to see how I'm going to interpret English words, you know, another language that's not mine from 200 years ago. That is very true. I didn't think about that. So this will be, it will be really interesting to hear what you think these mean. Yeah. So your first term is pad the hoof. Hoof like the hoof of an animal. Yes. Oh, man. Okay. So I assume something related to horses because the horse is the only hooved animal that we are so close with or that Victorians would have been close with. But padding the hoof, hmm, can you use it in a sentence maybe? <laughs> yeah, so when heading into market, they chose to pad the hoof rather than take a buggy. Okay, so padding the hoof would be rather than taking a buggy to go horseback riding like the old school way. Very close. Okay. Pad the hoof is a slang term for to walk, not ride. Wow. I I assumed that, like, since you're talking about a buggy, then we're talking about the alternative of just riding a horse mm -hmm. raw without the buggy. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of what pad is like a slang term for, if it means... Maybe it means, like, uh, letting the hooves rest, like padding them on hay in a stable. Maybe. That would make sense. Mm -hmm. All right. Your second term is English manufacture. English manufacture. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine that being a slang word. I mean, it's very obvious what it means, man. It's a euphemism for something. Can you use it within a sentence, please? Okay. <laughs> because I have no context. Sure. 
After a hard day's work, the boys like to go down to the pub for some English manufacture. I mean, a beverage uh, or a euphemism used for alcohol. Mm-hmm. It's a euphemism for ale, beer, or cider. Hmm. I wonder why they need to say English manufacture if this is, you know, Victorian England. Yeah. Were they like importing alcohol from other places? So they need to make sure that they're drinking the local. Yeah. It's like, I don't know if this was around the time that they would have been importing, you know, hard liquor like Irish whiskey or, or if it was just some way to differentiate from hard liquor. You know what I mean? Like it's, you're not, you're having something that's yes. not like vodka. <laughs> but, but, but the idea, so when you told me English manufacturer, the first thing on my mind was, okay, this is in England. We're talking about the Victorians. So if they need to refer to something as English manufacturer, that's conveying the sense of, oh, it's not Irish or Scottish. Like it's not from those people. It's from us. It's ours. Yep. So if if they imported hard liquors, it's more like, yeah, this is not the hard stuff that those people (laughs) drink. Because we all know how the Victorians were very harsh towards the other cultures around them. Yes, yes. Not the most accepting of of people during their time period. Mm -hmm. So the English manufacturer would be a way of segregating people based on what they drink. This is very true. Hmm. Yep. Well, that's all I have. So I would like to thank Vuk for joining me today for Can You Crack the Cramp Word? And before we go, can you tell our listeners kind of where to find you on social, when new episodes of your show drop, and anything else you'd like them to know? Well, thank you for having me. This was very fun. I like interpreting things and seeing how wrong I am. (laughs) (laughs) And if you want, listeners, if you want to hear me interpret stuff and uh, be wrong half the time, listen to my show, (laughs) which you can find anywhere where you're listening to this except YouTube, because I don't want to be on YouTube. (laughs) On socials, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter and on Facebook at Tracing Owls. And yeah, that's about it. (laughs) (laughs) Do your episodes come out on a specific schedule? Okay, so I am putting out two episodes weekly, and the episodes are like an hour or more. But I do not have a certain schedule of when I put them out, depending on when I need to promote somebody or stuff like that. So I, I put two episodes out weekly, but on different days each week. Okay, well, that's awesome. And like I said, yeah. I was on his show. So if you want to check out that episode, I mean, I'm not going to tell you not to. So, <laughs> Also, uh, listeners, if you want to hear Lindsay on my show, be prepared to listen to a very harsh episode. It's I think so it's the most sad. depressing episode I ever had. It's so sad. I love how I'm like so excited to talk to you. And then I'm like, let's just bring everyone down. Let's just talk about the most yes. depressing topic oh. ever. I also want to bring up how you said uh, Twisted Owls once. Uh, I know. I was thinking, but it's funny because, uh, you know, owls can turn their heads around 180 degrees. So I'm thinking, what is a Twisted Owl? Is that the owl that took it a step too far? There you go. Maybe I am the Twisted Owl. When I came on your show, I just <laughs> decided to <laughs> completely take do a 180 and take a, make it real sad. Yeah, uh, it sounded like a good idea. And then 
when you sat down to record with me and realized what we're going to talk about, especially me bringing up things that are not part of the lore, but, you know, that are very uh, harsh, if yeah, true. Yep. Yeah. Maybe that was a Freudian slip on my part was that I was the twisted part of the, the Tracing Owls that time. <laughs> well, on that note, as always, I'm Lindsay, and I'll see you next time with another tale as old as crime.